This is the EPFR Exchange Podcast. All opinions expressed by Cam, Todd, and our podcast guests are solely of their own opinion and do not reflect the opinion of EPFR or Informa, its parent company. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the EPFR Exchange Podcast. My name is Todd Willits, and I'm joined by EPFR's economist, Cameron Brandt. We'll walk you through what our teams were monitoring last week in the data EPFR tracks, as well as what we'll look for in the upcoming week. Cam, good morning. Uh, Another week and another big set of records in equities. Let's start off right there. All right. Well, um, leading the charge were U.S. equity funds, uh, and it didn't really come as much of a surprise to me. Um, the Fed sent an unequivocal message to markets that uh, not only are they not going to take the punch bowl uh, away anytime soon, but as you remarked, uh, they might lay out some more <laughs> just to keep the party going. Um, you know, there is a there are a number of interesting you know fault lines, tension points at the moment in the broader market, and and certainly the the the, the People who are concerned that uh, reflation will uh, bring inflation and that um, the Fed's ability to control the narrative uh, is under stress. You know, U.S. 10-year yields hit 1.7 during the, the, the reporting week. Um, but uh, this week, anyway, they were overwhelmed by the, you know, I suppose the, you could call them the carpe diem crowd. Look, stimulus is here. It's going to persist certainly for another 18 months at, at nosebleed levels, fiscal stimulus pouring in. <laughs> Let's enjoy the party while we're, while it's uh, it's there. So uh, we certainly saw that. So yes, re- record flows for all the equity funds we track, record inflows for U.S. equity funds, uh, You know, another very solid week for global equity funds. Um, once again, Europe funds were the ones that uh, did not join the party. I'm, I'm assuming this ties back to what we're seeing in a vaccine rollout, or or is there more? Yes, it is. And, and that, though, there's been endless discussion of COVID, is actually, I think, worth spending a little bit of time on this week. Um, certainly, uh, Europe uh, is getting... Uh, paying a penalty for the really messy, politicized vaccine rollout. So let's come back to that in a minute. I think uh, we have a couple questions. But something to note this week, though, we saw a small pullback for those China-focused funds that we've been talking so much about this year. Um, is that retail driving that, or what? What are you seeing in the data? Well, um, a couple of things. Um, I, I think the two issues that uh, triggered that, one is that certainly the, the sustained high levels of retail involvement uh, are starting to catch the eye. And I've been seeing some research notes where um, the authors are trying to um, sort of uh, soothe their their reader base uh, by explaining how the Chinese government has learned from the last two go-arounds, and and, and and you know the regulatory machinery is in a much better space, but you know for good reason I think people both inside and outside China are starting to get a little cautious about uh, the levels of involvement. Um, 
And then uh, the other factor, which I think is is driving this this at least this week's caution, is that while the Fed, as as we said, is uh, uh, inviting everyone to load up on punch. Uh, the uh, annual sort of National People's Congress uh, uh, broke up, uh, having sent some pretty clear signals that they're going to be looking at preventing bubbles from going up, uh, revisiting a long-running issue with misallocation of capital. Um, now, they frequently, the, you know, the Chinese leadership frequently says that, and they're always very pragmatic uh, about <laughs> how they apply it with a clear eye that, you know, growth, a certain level of growth is almost mandatory. Um, but, um, you know, they also tend to <laughs> focus on what they say they will focus on. So uh, I think it's fair to say that certainly some sectors of China are going to find life a bit tougher sort of in the coming nine months to a year. One of your favorite topics, we've I've noticed we've not talked too much about it in the past couple of weeks, but that's the ESG uh, rise in assets. <laughs> and do you think, yes. thinking about the stimulus, thinking about some of that ex, uh, excess capital, do you think that we continue to see an ESG drive towards a record year for 2021 in assets? I, I think it's very likely given the tailwinds, but this past week, um, while it flows to SRI, ESG, equity, and bond funds remain, you know, solidly positive, that they weren't uh, the stars of the show or, or, or the horse pulling the cart in a way that we've seen for many of the weeks, really, since the second quarter of last year. Um, and uh, you, you know, we're about about to see, you know, a major debate now in the U.S. about. Uh, uh, a massive infrastructure package, uh, and and it's definitely green infrastructure <laughs> that will be on the table. Um, so I don't think it's going to go uh, away anytime soon. But again, you know, harking back to sort of the the broad background noise that you pick up from you know reading fund manager reports and the financial press, there's certainly starting to be the first flickers of a slightly more critical analysis of where all this is going. Um, and, and I don't mean critical in the uh, uh, Trumpian sense, climate change, what climate change, but just, uh, you know, anytime you get huge mo- amounts of uh, money mobilized uh, to an emerging sector, uh, especially one with ESG, where you know any hint of criticism is almost you know seen as bad form. How can you not be for greening? You know, there's a real risk of overreach or bubbles or stuff, or the money just not being spent well. Um, so, um, you, you know, one of those long-winded responses. Uh, yes, I, I think it's very likely we're going to see another record year, but there is definitely a slightly more realistic note creeping into some of at least the financial analysis of where all this might be headed. I'm excited to see the impact, uh, the the note from the ex BlackRock ESG boss uh, that we saw come out last week. If that has anything to uh, to impact markets in the next few. So going back to the vaccination topic, uh, just over a year into this pandemic, obviously since late 2020, we've been seeing 
uh, jabs go into arms. Where do we stand? What countries stand to benefit? Is there any uh, COVID uh, bounce that a country might see coming out of this? Yes. I mean, until recently, the narrative has been very much focused on the two undeniable front runners, which were Israel and and the UK. Um, however, for, for more for technical reasons than anything else, the supplies of the vaccine to the UK have, have gotten pinched in recent weeks. Uh, Israel, though it is, is is far ahead of everyone else, is a very small part of the global economy. So I think we're actually in a position where the U.S. may be about to uh, uh, pick up, uh, in addition to all the stimulus, uh, a COVID uh, bonus as well. Um, our vaccination programs are you know, really up and running, uh, maybe not quite as fast as everyone would like, but still looks like um, a critical mass of people will be vaccinated, certainly by June, if not May. Um, and our supply chains are, are pretty much based here. Uh, the UK has run into trouble because some of theirs uh, are based in India. Um, so, uh, and they also rely somewhat on a, a European Union that's not best pleased that they've <laughs> leapt ahead. Um, so um, I think a sort of a, a summer reopening uh, for the U.S., which means a big boost for uh, areas of the uh, service sector, um, is a very real possibility. And in that case, uh, you know, the U.S. is going to look even better, uh, certainly compared to Europe and, and, and some of, some of its uh, peers in Asia. So, Cam, what are you and the team looking at in this uh, upcoming week in the research side? So, two things. One sort of slightly technical. Um, the EPFR's coverage of collective investment trusts, uh, you know, and this is a phenomenon we've seen over the years. We track small esoteric groups, and then one day we suddenly covering enough of them uh, that you know, you can extract credible signals. Uh, so we think we might have reached that point with collective investment trust and we'll be taking a bit of a dive uh, this coming week. Uh, and then I'm going to be taking a, a look, at, a broader look at, at risk. Um, we've mentioned in previous uh, uh, podcasts that um, your high-yield bond funds, you're no longer acting as if the, the things they buy are, are a risk asset. And I suppose because of the Fed's backing, uh, a lot of the risk has been taken off the table. Um, but, uh, you know, the whole question of risk does seem to be somewhat in flux. A lot of the research notes uh, harking back to ESG uh, spend a lot of time talking about reputational and climate risk and um, so how our data reflects some of these new measures that people are at least paying lip service to, um, and how robust some of the classic signals are in the light of, uh, all the central bank intervention, uh, is something we'll be looking into this coming week. Great. Thanks, Cam. Have a great week. You too. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the EPFR Exchange podcast. For more information or to suggest a topic for a future podcast, please visit epfr.com slash podcast.